Gary Parish it's Wednesday, December 5th, 2018. Welcome back to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and there weren't any games between two ranked teams on either of the past two nights since we last recorded. If you're wondering, we're actually not going to get another game between two teams ranked in the AP poll until late Friday night when number six Nevada plays uh, number 20 Arizona State, Staples Center, downtown LA. Both those teams are undefeated, so that should be terrific. But we haven't had a game between two ranked teams since last Saturday, although there was a doubleheader at Madison Square Garden on Tuesday night. Oklahoma beat Notre Dame 85-80, then Florida beat West Virginia 66-56. It was a rare MSG doubleheader with zero ranked teams involved. Norlander, you were courtside town Manhattan. Anything stand out to you? A um, couple things. Uh, the first game was good. Oklahoma and Notre Dame was, was fairly decent. The second game was just downright brutal. Florida versus West Virginia. Uh, one of the worst games I've been to in person in the past five years. At least Parrish. Uh, West Virginia, I'll note, lost again. Uh, they appear to be, uh, and I don't take any joy in this, but they appear to be uh, living up to my prophecy of being the ranked team in a preseason, not going to make the NCAA tournament. Um, the three best teams West Virginia's played it has lost to, that being Buffalo, Western Kentucky, and Florida. Quick notes. Uh, Florida got a win it badly needed, um, but something weird's going on there. Jalen Hudson was debating going into the NBA draft l- earlier this year. He didn't. He is averaging six points in like 16 minutes a game. And, you know, he's not their best player. Maybe he's their most talented player, but he's not showing it. Mike White does not know what is happening there. It's a bizarre deal. I've got more. For those listening to the podcast right now, uh, my weekly Wednesday column, The Court Report, as we call it, uh, has stuff on that and some other stuff from MSG. Talk with Mike Bray after the loss. He said he's never had a team this young. You know, Mike Bray, as you know, Parrish, is one of the best uh, coaches to deal with after loss in the sport. He's just wired that way. And so he was fairly um, positive despite getting beat by a, a long and rangy Oklahoma team. He said, listen, these guys are going to be together for two, three years here. I've never had a team this young. I created the phrase, get old and stay old, and I'm violating my own philosophy. So keep an eye on Notre Dame. I don't know if they'll be in the NCAA tournament or not this season. Um, they're going to be an intriguing one to watch, no doubt about it. I still think they've got uh, a lot of offense to lean on there. But the big thing that I had for takeaway – is Oklahoma. So they're in the post-Trey Young phase. They're 7-1. and one. They have defeated four Ken Palm top 100 teams, including Wofford, which gave Kansas a game last night, by the way, uh, Florida, uh, Dayton, and Notre Dame. Their only losses against Wisconsin. Uh, five of their wins, Parrish, have come away from home, and they still have a rough schedule ahead. They've got Wichita State this weekend in Oklahoma City. They get USC and Creighton uh, in Norman. And then they go to Northwestern. Uh, we'll be at that game in Chicago on December 21st. That's the night before the CBS Sports Classic. And then Big 12 play starts, and they start at, at Kansas. Um, so this this stretch has been huge and critical for Oklahoma if it wants to get into the NCAA tournament. It was not projected to be that. And I did talk with Coach Long Kruger and the, and the Oklahoma staff about the team adapting without Trey Young and thriving without him. And they are much better defensively. Christian James is averaging 19.9 points. And this is just, it is a percolating plot line, in my opinion, GP. Um, I don't think if you took Trey Young off of last season's Oklahoma team, it's a better team. But obviously, with so many guys back from that team last season, they have, they have, identified whatever was ailing them last year. And, you know, one of the assistants told me team morale was not great. 
it was not great, but now the guys are, are willing passers. They know how to share the ball. And so, yeah, this is, this is a thing. Oklahoma is looking better to this point. Without Trey Young, I'll leave it with this. I will note that last season, Oklahoma got off to an even better start than this, even more impressive with Trey, and then it hit a slide. Big 12 is going to be loaded. Let's see if this group can dodge a lot of the minds that stepped into last season. We've talked about this before. Um, you have this unbelievable player, this statistical monster, and you, you'd, you'd, you'd rather have life with him than without him, but – for whatever reason, he leaves and your team gets better. Um, I don't know if most notably works, but notably Texas without Kevin Durant. Texas with Kevin Durant was good. You know, went to the NCAA tournament, finished 25th at Ken Palm. Lose Kevin Durant next year, they finished 9th at Ken Palm, win 31 games. More recently, Purdue with Biggie Swanigan was good. Went to the NCAA tournament. Um, but was 19th at Kempom and a four seed with Biggie Swanigan when he had that incredible sophomore year where he was a legitimate player of the year candidate. Yep. Uh, then last season, they lose Biggie Swanigan. They played the season without him. Finished fifth at Kempom, win 30 games. And, uh, you know, at, at one point had, I guess it was around an 18-game winning streak. So if Oklahoma is going to be the latest example of that, perhaps that shouldn't be the most surprising thing in the in, in the world because we've we've seen this happen before. Trey Young, of course, first player to ever lead Division One basketball in points per game and assists per game, and it does appear at this point that Oklahoma is a better team in this season without him. Doesn't mean Oklahoma would have been a better team last season without him, but it does appear that Oklahoma is a better team this season without him. They're about 50 spots better in defensive efficiency um, at this point than they finished last season. I want to circle back to Jalen Hunt real quick because that is Mark. He wasn't just a good player last season. He was the best player on a team that advanced in the NCAA tournament. He averaged 15.5 points um, and 3.9 rebounds in 26.6 minutes per game. Comes back, and at this moment, he's averaging 6.0 points and 2.4 rebounds in only 16.8 minutes per game. He's shooting 30.2% from the field, 20.7% from three-point range. This is very rare. You know, to, to have a guy who was a significant player, if not the best player on a good team, come back and just go the wrong direction this significantly unless it is injury-related. And this doesn't appear to be injury-related. He just appears to, for whatever reason, not be a good basketball player right now. It really is. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't notice it until you pointed it out in Slack last night with – uh, some of our other writers and editors, but you really start diving into the numbers, and this is a—it's a weird story. It is weird, and Mike White said, "I—I I can't explain it to you." He's actually been shooting it relatively well in practice. Um, he also said he's been looking at the plus-minus, and it is undeniable. Uh, if you look, you know, if you really dive in, when Hudson's on the floor, Florida's not as good. Um, there is just there is something bizarre happening there, and he Hudson really broke through last season, and you know a real NBA prospect. But and Mike White didn't tell me this, but it, it's kind of my own deduction. Like it's it's quite clear. Like defensively, he's not providing enough. 
He rushed a couple of shots last night, got yanked, didn't even get back on the floor. Like, he played six minutes, and Mike White just never put him on the floor again. Um, and it was a tight game. Like, West Virginia was threatening, and Jalen was just not going to get on, on the court. So, you know, we both thought Florida would be an NCAA tournament team heading into the season. Offensively, they've got massive issues. I mean, Kayvon Allen was was good last night, and, and White even said, I need him to take basically twice as many shots as anyone else on the team. Just for us to be good, he leads by example. His aggressiveness sets a tone for us. It's kind of the exact opposite of Hudson, but it is fascinating. You do not have a guy normally that is an NBA prospect, flirts with going pro, comes back, and then is just a total non-factor. It is, it is like he uh, co- completely lost, uh, lost his place on the team entirely. So we'll see if we'll get it back. Uh, Mike White's confident that it is going to happen, but he and the staff are just baffled as to how this is happening. And certainly it's, just, it's something to keep an eye on with Florida. Because I, I asked White, I said, listen, for you guys to be top 25 level, do you need Jalen to be relatively close to what he was last year? And, and White said, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. With, what, with the guys we have here and really good competition and athletes on the wing, maybe it's not. But I certainly want to see it get back to that point. So it's just something to keep an eye on. It is certainly uh, quite bizarre. The way, like you said, a big win for Florida, if only because um, – it's it's not a it's not a fourth loss. I mean, this is a team that borderline top twenty five team. According to people in the preseason, they open by getting blasted by Florida State. Then they lose a neutral to Oklahoma, a neutral to Butler, and this would have been a fourth loss in eight games. Dropped them to four and four, and they not only would have been four and four, it'd have been four and four, but zero and four against the four best teams that they played. So now. 30 win over Ken Palm. They're still top 25 at Ken I don't think one of the 25 best teams in the country right now. Certainly don't have one of the 25 best resumes. Um, but they've got uh, still some opportunities uh, on their non-league schedule to, to to get this thing worked out. They've got Michigan State uh, coming up at home on uh, Saturday. And then they've got uh, Butler on the 29th at home before they start SEC play. That opens with South Carolina at home, then at Arkansas, then Tennessee at home, then at Mississippi State, then at Georgia. Um, Elsewhere, outside of Madison Square Garden last night, uh, there was an interesting development in the Kansas-Wofford game. You mentioned Wofford gave Kansas um, a a little bit of a push. It was mostly a first-half push. Kansas ultimately did to them what Kansas uh, is is supposed to do to them. Uh, The team that's ranked number two in the AP poll, number one in the top 25-1, and ends up winning 72-47, but it was 29-26 at the half. Kansas outscores them 43-21 in the second half. But the big story, of course, Yudoka Azabuki uh, comes down awkwardly. Uh, is diagnosed with what Bill Self called a significant ankle sprain. Um, I saw some speculation that he could be sidelined anywhere from three to four to five weeks, and this is not insignificant. Kansas is deep. Kansas is talented. But Doak is you know, their third-leading scorer and second-leading rebounder. He's averaging 12.9 points per game, 6.1 rebounds per game, and 20.1 minutes per game, shooting 68%. Uh, from the field and so this does affect Kansas and of course Kansas has got a big game coming up uh, they're going to play um, well, New Mexico State first on Saturday that's a top 100 Kimpon opponent but then the bigger one or at least it seemed to be the bigger one in the preseason when both were in the preseason top 10 uh, Villanova on Saturday December 15th at, at Allen Fieldhouse and then they got Arizona three days before Christmas 
be on the road. So they might they're going to have to play. It appears at least three top 100 Ken Palm teams and two top 50 Ken Palm teams without Yudoka Azabuki, and they're good enough to get by it. But yeah, nobody likes to have a short roster. Yeah, we'll see if they do. This is the second time uh, in three seasons that Azabuki has been uh, sidelined. He only played um, like a third of the season when he was a freshman because he hurt his wrist and he was out the rest of the year. Now he was not nearly that. He was he was like a solid freshman at that point, but he was not nearly the player then as he is now. Parish, not even close. But I think this could have an impact. I, I, Kansas has depth. But they don't have a guy, obviously almost no teams have a guy like Azabuki. Now Lawson is a really, really good player and has been critical. Dietrich Lawson has been so critical to this team at this stage. Uh, but not having Doke in there eliminates, I think, a very viable and vital presence for KU uh, as, a, as a top team in college basketball. So I personally believe that the Villanova game on December 15th which is in uh which is in Kansas and I Kansas should win. I just think it gets that much closer when you take a presence like Azabuki out of the lineup. Meantime, um Miami lost another game on Tuesday night. Uh they lose at Penn 89-75. And so this is a team that started uh 5 and 0 was getting votes in the AP poll and the coaches poll. And then on Sunday, November 25th, when, I'll be honest, um, this was a late game that they were playing, I believe, out California, Wooden Legacy. And so every Sunday night, I, after we record a podcast, I start to put together, a, you know, the top 25 and one. And on that night, usually I can get it done on Sunday night before I go to bed. But there was no way I was staying up late that night because I believe that was the same weekend I'd just gotten back from Maui. Mm-hmm. So I penciled in Miami as like number 25 or number 26 based on if they lose to Seton Hall. I mean, if they beat Seton Hall, they'll be 6-0 and with two top 100 Ken Palm wins. And the computers love them because at the time, I think they were top 20 at Ken Palm. So I forget who had lost that day. But place, boom, it'll be easy. And I remember waking up the next morning and emailing one of our editors, Marcus Nelson, who handles the top 25 and one most mornings. And I was like, hey, just give me a, a few extra minutes this morning. Uh, Miami lost last night, so I've got to figure that out. I, I had sort of penciled them in for a spot, but them losing to Seton Hall in neutral. Um, now they're they're five and one with a loss to Seton Hall and best win over Fresno State. That's not good enough. My point being, they were uh, somebody under consideration for national rankings. Then they lose to Seton Hall. Then they lose at home to Rutgers, 57-54. Then they lose to Yale, 77-73. And now you lose to Penn, 89-75. It's a four-game losing streak. I bet that hasn't happened for Jim Laranaga very often throughout his career, certainly after he got George Mason rocking and rolling and, and, and most times at – at Miami, you have any sense for what's what's happened for my, to Miami uh, over the past couple of weeks? Uh, almost none. Um, they looked relatively. De- I did not watch the Rutgers Yale or Penn game. I watched the, almost all of the Seton Hall game, and that was a good game. Um, I would not have thought uh, Miami would be capable of going from five and zero to five and four at that point. Uh, quick curiosity on the Penn game. So that was at Penn on Tuesday night. Um, 
I don't have Miami's roster and uh, up in front of me with with all the players' hometowns. I want to say maybe maybe Larinaga scheduled that at Penn, thinking potentially Lonnie Walker would be a sophomore on the roster because he's from that general area. Uh, but maybe they have someone else. Um, but just a curious thing there. I also want to know, maybe some reader can help us out with this. I don't even know how you'd find this information. I want to know the last time a team from a major conference lost consecutive games to Ivy League opponents. Or not even maybe consecutive games like Miami has or just in a two-game stretch, whether it was year over year or three years apart, you played two Ivy League opponents and lost both of them. I don't know how often that has ever happened, but it's the case here. Yale and Penn are, are you know, on the top echelon of the Ivy League, but still, that's uh, that's a bit of a stunner. And Miami, you know, you know, it lost Lonnie last year. It doesn't have uh, formerly uh, Duan Hewell, now Duan Hernandez, uh, changed his name officially in the offseason due to um, – they're, they're, just, they're just holding him out due to things that were uh, brought up amid um, – the FBI's investigation and and the federal trial, uh, so they don't have him. Uh, but still, there's there is still talent on this team. I mean, Chris Likes is a is a really really good player. He's diminutive, but he's he's a fantastic talent. But as we kind of hit the pause button, Parrish, on the first month of the season, and you know from a calendar standpoint, we're more than four weeks in. But Thursday will mark exactly one month since the season started. If you were to create a short list of some of the most disappointing teams in college basketball, others would join Miami on that, no doubt about it. But at this point, the Hurricanes are are absolutely right there. And now you've dropped so many, you're going to have to overachieve in league play because you're not going to, there's nothing else that's coming in non-con for, for the hurricanes. That's going to do any good. They have Houston Baptist, Florida Atlantic and Campbell, and you got to win all those games. And even if you do, it just adds nothing to your, uh, to your resume overall. And then you're going to have to do some damage within the ACC. I now believe Miami has to win at least 10 games in the ACC, a loaded ACC to have a case against the NCAA tournament come March. Um, I just, while you were talking, went back and looked at it. Jim Laranega, I could only go back to 2002 right now because that's uh, the the Ken Palm database. Never had a has never had a four game losing streak. Wow! All the, I mean now pre 2002 maybe um, because his career actually starts at American International. That's a Division two uh, school, or at least it was at the time. I have no idea what it is today. Uh, then he's at Bowling Green for a while, and then he goes to George Mason in 1997, but. At the very least, going back to 2002, he's had several three-game losing streaks, but there was not a uh, a, a four-game losing streak in there. So we at least know that this is like Jim Laranega's first four-game losing streak as a coach since, I mean, in, in like 15, 16, 17-plus you know, seasons. And so it is, uh, it, it's unusual and, and surprising, especially for a team that was top 20 at Ken Palm a few weeks ago and 5-0. and To now be 5-4 and four on December 5th, again, just sort of a, a, a surprising close on. Uh, a big development from this week that could have college basketball ramifications, and that's the Chicago Bulls uh, deciding to part ways with Fred Hoiberg. He, of course, was um, the head coach at Iowa State for several seasons, an incredibly successful coach at Iowa State had opportunities to leave there for other college jobs. I do believe he at least listened um, and contemplated on some level the Minnesota job when maybe Richard Patino was was hired. But ultimately, he stayed at Iowa State until um, the Bulls parted with Tom Thibodeau. 
and became the Chicago Bulls coach. He ends up spending a little more than three seasons there. It's like three seasons and maybe 24 games. He gets a $25 million contract. So there's $25 million he made in the past three seasons plus 24 games. And now, if he wants to, and I stress, if he wants to, um, he'll have an opportunity to return to coaching uh, with his reputation unhurt. Same way losing in the NBA didn't bother, didn't hurt Rick Patino. Losing in the NBA didn't hurt John Calipari. Losing in the NBA is not going to hurt uh, Fred Hoiberg. You know, in coaching, if you lose at the Division One level, it it strongly affects and impacts what type of job you can get next. But losing the NBA doesn't hurt you. It often just helps you. Rick Patino bounced back to college, got a great job, won another, won a national championship. John Calipari bounced back to college, got best job available, has subsequently won a national championship. And I suspect Fred Hoiberg will, if he wants, bounce back to college, get one of the best jobs available whenever he jumps back in, if not the best job available. And um, I don't know about win a national championship, but but presumably win again. And it's why, despite some people on Twitter on Monday morning when this was announced, saying, see, this is why he should have never left Florida, uh, uh, Iowa State. I submit it's it's exactly why he should have left Iowa State. Um, he got $25 million to coach three, plus, three seasons plus 24 games. And what it also does, leaving Iowa State for the Chicago Bulls, people in Iowa State aren't going to hate you for leaving Iowa State to go coach the Chicago Bulls. They understand why you would do that. It's a lot of it's more money, it's a lot of money, and it's an opportunity to coach at the highest level of the sport. But leaving Iowa State for another college job, that gets tricky. Like I don't think Butler fans were ever Brad Stevens will ever be will forever be loved by Butler fans because he didn't leave them for uh, Indiana or some other college job. He left them for Boston Celtics. What are you going to do? And so if Brad, and I don't believe Brad's ever bouncing back to college, but if he did, he removes himself from that awkward moment of leaving Butler for another college job. Fred going to the Chicago Bulls does the exact same thing. Uh, it would have been very difficult for the mayor to ever leave Iowa State for another college job, even if it were an obviously better college job. But by going to the Chicago Bulls and making it where he doesn't have to go from Iowa State to another college job, if he wants to come back to college, it sets him up to where, bottom line, he got to pocket $25 million, coach at the highest level of the sport, and now he, if he wants to come back to college, he can come back to college and get a better job than the job that he left behind without the awkwardness of having to leave his alma mater for another college job. From my perspective, it's all win-win-win stuff. It is win-win. Uh, I've got a little bit on this in the court report as well. Um, I don't know if if Fred wants to return to college, like right now, if he thinks maybe it'll happen a year, two, or three down the road. He has made uh, enough money in his life at this point where he can, you know, he's only 46, but if, if he wanted to retire, that is also an option on the table. Um, he previously worked in an NBA front office with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, I think there is the possibility that that could still appeal to him. Um, he was, he's got an interesting little story here because when he got the Iowa State job, I remember a lot of people being skeptical that he would be good as a college coach. 
And go ahead. I, one of the columns that I regret the most, I, I'm the, where I was just clearly wrong because I mocked it. And you know what? You want to know what's funny? Looking back on this, I, I don't know if anybody could find the column. It's really an embarrassing column. And I don't have many columns over the years where I just I go, oh, wow, I could not have been more wrong. But Fred Hoiberg to Iowa State, I could not have been more wrong. I wrote that it was desperate, and it was just like uh, it was it was designed to whip the fans into a frenzy. But like, what are you doing? And I swear to God, I think I haven't seen the column in years. I think this is in there. This would be uh, this is what I wrote something along these lines. Imagine if Memphis went and hired Penny Hardaway. <laughs> That's what I wrote all those years ago. <laughs> And while I'm mocking Iowa State hiring Fred Hoiberg, incredible if that line is indeed in there. Um, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't like an outlandish opinion to have at the point at, at that point, though. I understand where you and and many others were coming from, uh, but regardless, um, Fred Hoiberg won as many games at Iowa State. He won exactly as many, 115 uh, in college, with much less schedule uh, and much you know many fewer games. Uh, as he did it with the Bulls, he won exactly 115. Um, wound up winning by bringing into the mainstream the idea of of adding transfers and specifically grad transfers and using that um, as a way to win. In part because Hoiberg, uh, at least from what I could tell and what I've been, uh, you know, what I've learned over the years is like he just was. He was not slash is not a big fan of all of the necessities that come with recruiting. 15, 16, 17-year-olds, um, and I wonder if being away from that for four years, you know, at this point, or what it will be uh, this upcoming spring, uh, will have uh, have worn off enough where he's willing to go back in, or if he's experienced enough of the NBA lifestyle where he's not going to get another NBA head coaching job anytime soon, but if he wants to just stay working at that level, certainly I think that's something under consideration. Uh, schools, uh, my last thought on this is is this, GP. Um, speculation is inevitable. Uh, uh, and you know what? It, for Steve Alford and Richard Pertino specifically, I think UCLA and Minnesota have been the two schools that have been brought up because Minnesota, from a geographic standpoint, makes a lot of sense. And I could absolutely see Hoiberg having a lot of success there. Uh, UCLA, because Hoiberg will be a coach that's uh, courted and it's the, it's the highest profile job. Um, but I also think some of the uh, the realities of the UCLA job. Maybe it's not a great fit. Who knows? Who knows? You know. But I think there are some connections behind the scenes that could lead to real conversations happening with Hoiberg and UCLA. But let's let's let these coaches coach out their seasons as well. Uh, if Alfred gets to the NCAA tournament again this season, that's going to be five times in six seasons. I don't think you could justify firing him. I don't think you could justify like G- GP. I know one of your um, one of your credos is. If you think you can bring in someone better, then by all means do it no matter what. If you can bring in a better coach, well, I'm not convinced that Fred Hoiberg would be better at UCLA than what Alfred has proven to be from a recruiting standpoint, even with the ball, uh, you know, the ball family debacle and all that. Um, he's still getting to the tournament, has made some sweet 16s, and if they get there again this season, I don't necessarily believe that Hoiberg is, is for sure a guarantee upgrade. And then Minnesota does have a talented team, and if it gets to the tournament, um, I, I don't think you can part uh, with Patino in that, in that situation either. So we've got a lot of 
of Road to Hoe here. And what the coaching carousel sets up to be on March 5th is going to be definitely different from what we think it is here on December 5th. So let's just wait and see. I'm not convinced that uh, a year from now we're going to see Fred Hoiberg on a college sideline. Maybe it happens eventually, but I just think he's a man who has a lot of options and will uh, rightfully be picky about what he chooses to do. We'll say, and it's totally uh, a coincidence, the two schools that we're talking about. But as you say, I don't think UCLA could fire Steve Alford if he went to five tournaments in six years. Keep in mind, UCLA fired Ben Hallen after he won an outright Pac-12 title and went to the NCAA tournament. And I believe Ben Hallen is still to this day the only Power 5 coach to ever be fired after winning a Power 5 regular season title outright um, and not having some sort of scandal involved. Now, I know he had that Sports Illustrated story, but no big scandal that got him fired. He got fired for losing or for damaging relationships or for whatever. But uh, UCLA did fire Ben Hallen coming off an NCAA tournament. Literally the same year, Minnesota fired Tubby Smith coming off an NCAA yeah. tournament. So both these schools do have recent history and there's some different decision makers in place, uh, obviously, at Minnesota. But both of these schools do have history of firing coaches coming off of NCAA tournament appearances because they were ready to, to make a change for whatever reason. And UCLA obviously has a, um, a, a you know, a post-wooden history of, like, uh, wanting to change coaches. I mean, they, the year before uh, – and was ranked to the top five like a lot of that season. They were flying banners above, you know, above yeah. above campus. They fired Steve Offord, so he's he's been on the hot seat almost since the day that he got there, fairly or unfairly. But you're exactly right; those are the two jobs that most people jumped on um, when the Hoiberg news went down. UCLA because it's UCLA, Minnesota because Fred has ties there. And I'll just say this: if you're Fred Hoiberg and you consider Minnesota. And I can tell you this, the previous administration at Minnesota thought that they were going to get Fred Hoiberg. Now, maybe Fred was just never going to be able to pull the trigger, but he had the AD and associate AD at the time there. Um, uh, he had them thinking they, they were about to get him. And so if you, my point is, if you consider Iowa, uh, Minnesota while you're the coach at Iowa State, if you're Fred Hoiberg, you'll certainly consider Minnesota, I would assume, if, if you happen to be unemployed when that job uh, opens one last thing on this, and then we'll get out of here. The other reason that I thought I I always thought it was just smart to go to the Bulls no matter what, but that it gets him out of this it gets it gets him out of this situation where if he wanted to leave Iowa State, it would be awkward to leave it for another college job. The, you know, you mentioned the transfer stuff, Fred. I had dinner with he and T.J. Otzelberger, who was. His assistant at the time is now the head coach at South Dakota State. Shouts to the Jackrabbits. Shouts to David Jenkins. Shouts to Mike Dom. Um, at the Peach Jam, the you know a few months after Fred was hired, and this is when I was, I knew that he was. I assumed he was going to be good because he seemed very smart. He, he one of the points he made was that he he knew that he wouldn't be able to recruit you know with Texas and Kansas for high school you know, all Americans. And yet he wanted to compete with Texas and Kansas in the big 12. And I, I think more or less the, the, the point he was making was I, 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 if for me to go recruit high school players, like they recruit high school players, I'd have to cheat to do that. But so the only way I can get comparable talent 
is to take other people's knuckleheads. And he didn't use that term. That's my term. But that that's what – go take other – go take talent – go take talented players who went to other schools, wanted to transfer, get out of there, maybe got in trouble for whatever reason, bring them to Ames, and then, you know, br- hopefully they don't get in action. That reflects on you, and people want you to answer for that. Whereas if you're Phil Jackson in L.A. and Kobe Bryant gets a sexual assault charge, nobody thinks it's the coach's fault. It's all a Kobe Bryant story. But in college, it reflects on you. And Fred had assembled rosters consistently that had a knucklehead or two or four where it was always just a a successful thing but a slightly unstable thing. And so going to Chicago got him away from that. And that's another reason why it made sense to jump when he jumped, because th- there was always at least a chance it, it, it might turn on him uh, very quickly, if that makes sense. It, it does. Um, and, you know, we'll, we wait and see uh, what's going to come up here. But obviously, Hoiberg's name is going to be lobbed out there. We'll see what jobs um, look like they could open, but it's going to be a, a few months down the road. And and we'll wait and see. I'll, I'll close on this and we, we really do got to get out of here. Um, but this uh, the longer that Hoiberg doesn't take a job. In college, it also makes it weirdly uh, pressurized on Steve Prohm because he's doing a really, really good job at Iowa State. I think they're going to get into the tournament this season, but the 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 minute that that starts to kind of wobble again, then it's like, well, you know, let's bring Fred back. So, you know, th- that's not fair to Steve, but I, I can totally see the fevered Iowa State fan base kind of kind of looking for that opportunity. If Fred is not coaching in college and is just kind of just you know sitting idle, so to speak, so uh, that's another subplot, an unattended consequence of all this. But given how good Fred was at ISU, I think that uh, unfortunately uh, is something that'll just kind of be out there. Oh, you're exactly right. That's a good point. Um, there is some thought that you know Fred's got all this money; he could step back and just spend time with uh, with his beautiful wife Carol and the kids and and take a year off. There is nobody who wants Fred Horbert to get a job as quickly as possible, then then nobody wants that Steve Prohm. Because if this season, and I think Steve's got a good team this season, but in the Big 12, you never know. Everybody's got a good team just about. If it goes badly on him and Fred's still out there, then that builds within the fan base. Even if it doesn't build with the administration, your bosses, it builds within the fan base. What you want more than anything, if you're Steve Prohm, is Fred Horbert to take a job in March and be occupied and be a non-candidate uh, at Iowa State. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember, please subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. You can rate it favorably. I'd appreciate it. Five stars. Nice comments. It's all I've ever asked from you. So please go do that if you haven't done it. If you have already done it, thank you a lot. It helps sincerely. Um, I, uh, we appreciate everything you do. Keep listening. We'll be back Friday. Till then, take care.